Hey friends, welcome to the Radical Radiance podcast. I am your host, Rebecca George, and I am so thrilled to be here with you today for this conversation with author Erica Wiggenhorn. We talked all about her new book, Letting God Be Enough, all about striving and surrender. And I think just a lot of things that we all need to hear right now. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. But before we get to the conversation, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Shine Bright Journal. The Shine Bright Journal is a free resource that you can go download today at RadicalRadiance.live that will walk you through a lot of the things that we talk about around here. How do we radiate the love of Christ in our life, our work, our relationships, all the things. You'll have space to unpack what God is showing you through scripture, through prayer and journaling and all the things. So go grab it today at RadicalRadiance.live and help me welcome our new friend Erica to the show. Erica, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so thrilled to have you. I am so excited to be here. This is so fun. I always love when you get on with somebody and you're like, okay, we're going to be fast friends. And especially (laughs) on this topic that we get to talk about today, I feel like you and I are just cut from the same cloth. And I just want to say, I love how we got introduced. So a listener of the show came to me, which this rarely happens. I love when this happens, but they came to me and they're like, hey, I know a girl. I know a girl that I think you would really love to hear from. And I usually would never suggest this, but like, can I introduce you to my friend? And it was you. And I just, (laughs) I love that. I love that that happened. So this is nine minutes into our friendship, but I'm just so thankful. (laughs) Yes. Valana is an amazing friend of mine and a huge fan of yours. And she texted me afterwards and she was like, so I did a thing. (laughs) What'd you do? What'd you do? And she said, well, I have this podcast and I love it. And I've been listening to it for several years. And, and she was talking about something and I thought, man, she needs to meet Erica and Erica needs to meet her. And so mm. that's how it happened. Here we are. So it's pretty Here fun. we are. So I hey, know. Anna, I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she is. I can't wait for her to hear this conversation. So yeah, when I got your book in the mail, I was like, oh man, this is going to be such a good conversation for, I know me and I know so many of my listeners, your new book is called Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. And one of the things that I find, I don't know if you feel this way too, when you talk to authors is like, you read their book title and you're like, okay, I just want to know the story behind the book. Because typically, even I know for me, the books that I dream about writing and even the one I'm working on right now, it comes from my life experience, right? And things I've wrestled out with the Lord. And so I want to hear your letting God be enough story. Yeah. So I would say I've always been a striver. Uh, I'm a type A, don't like to sit still, let's go get her done kind of girl. That's always just my natural bent, I guess you would say. And being a Christian, being part of a church family, um, you know, there's always plenty of things to do right? As a, as a woman, as a Christian woman, right? Like somebody mm-hmm. always needs a casserole. Somebody's kids always <laughs> need a ride. Uh, somebody always needs to make coffee for the event. You know, there's just always things to be done. Um, as a mom in a school community, in my kids' sports communities, there's just always stuff to do. And mm-hmm. people 
that need to do it. And so when you are kind of naturally a doer, you Mm -hmm. end up getting asked to do a lot of things. Um, And for my own self, what I really found, Rebecca, is I was doing a lot of things, but I was doing them for the wrong reason. And our church culture especially really applauds that woman who you know, has a Pinterest-worthy home and really cute-dressed, well-behaved kids, and she can always be counted on in a pinch to come through and do what needs to be done, and she does it all with a smile on her face, and she's a happy wife, and, you know, that is sort of what is set up for us as the epitome of what a good Christian girl should look like, act like, be like, and do. Sure. And so I tried to do all the things. And eventually it really came to a head in my life because I realized I wasn't doing those things out of love. Mm. Um, I wasn't even necessarily doing all those things because I liked to be a doer. I was Mm -hmm. doing all of those things out of fear. Um, Because I felt like if I said no, or I didn't do those things, people would reject me, or they would think Mm. less of me, or they would think I wasn't a good Christian, or a good wife, or mom, or friend. Yeah. Um, And so I just kind of kept the cycle going, because I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to get out of it. And I thought if I stopped, um, everything would just kind of come crashing down, and people... yeah would walk away from me and not want to be my friend or not think highly of me or judge me or criticize me, uh, all the above. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it comes from a long time of <laughs> operating out of fear of what other people think, fear of rejection, yeah. um, rather than, hey, I, I want to serve this person because I love Jesus and I care about them. No, I was yeah. I was serving people, but I was doing it all for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah, man, I relate to this so much. I'm a doer. I Every personality test I've ever taken has put me on like the achiever scale, right? And so I relate to everything you're saying. And I wonder... This is a selfish question, but I think a lot of my listeners will relate to this. How did motherhood affect that for you? So I'm on the other side of motherhood. I have not had kids yet. My husband and I have been married a couple years. If this has always been sort of your personality, like was there a new dimension of that that you had to wrestle through with the Lord or work through even when you became a mom? Like was that was that one of those points where you and the Lord had to be like, all right, how, you know, how do we handle this striving thing? Or have there been sort of marks along the way where you've, you've had to, you know, maybe, maybe ask the Lord, okay, how do I handle this in this season? What's that? What's been the, the surrender part of it for you? Does that make sense? Yeah. So a big part of the surrender part for it, for us was uh, my husband and I, we were married 11 years before we had our first child. Yes. And so that was not our choice. That was not our plan. Uh, God grew our family through his bounty, not through biology. So we were not able to have our own children. And, you know, that was obviously a hard, dark season of 
this empty yeah. belly and aching heart. Um, but looking back, that was part of the surrender process, right? Because yeah. I had very definite ideas about motherhood and what my kids were going to be like and what we were going to do and how we were going to look and how, what all of our Christmas cards were going to look like. Like, okay, I have issues, Rebecca. Yeah. I have issues. No, right? that's real. <laughs> we all have those thoughts. <laughs> yes. And so I think God knew like, oh, honey, we've got to – we got to do some work on you before we give yeah. you two little humans to take care of. Um, and so that was definitely part of the surrender journey of just going through the infertility and saying, okay, if, if I don't ever birth a child, mm. will God be enough? And now, you know, now I'm on the other side of it. I have a 17 year old daughter who's getting ready to go off to college next year and a 15 year old son. And I can't imagine being any other child's mama other than those yeah. two. And that was God's plan all along. That didn't mean that it made sense. And it didn't mean that there weren't lots of tears and lots of moments of, you know, just being angry at God and saying, what? Absolutely. I don't understand these circumstances. But that was a huge part of the surrender story for me. Um, yeah. Motherhood is a daily surrender. <laughs> Because yeah. you cannot, you cannot change a child's heart. Mm -hmm. You know, children are born sinners like every other human on the face of the planet. And we do our very best to guide and direct them and have yeah. them choose what we think is right and how we think they should behave and, and, you know, the values of our home as husband and wife that we want to pass down to them. But at the end of the day, only God can change them. And so from the very first moment that we hold them in our arms, there's this beginning of a long process of surrender. I can remember the first night we brought Eliana home from the hospital and we had waited. I mean, we had waited six years for this little girl yeah. And I'm rocking her in the middle of the night and I'm just literally crying, partly with gratitude. I'm just so overwhelmed of the, of the gift yeah. of this little daughter, um, but yeah. also fear. And I remember just sitting there and rocking her and saying to God, please don't let me mess this up. I want to mm. do this right. Please don't, you know. God, just help me. I can't, I, I'm not worthy of this yeah. gift that I'm holding right now. And I remember God just whispering to me in the quietness of my heart and saying to me, Erica, if Eliana had a perfect mom, why in the world would she ever need a heavenly father? Wow. And wow. that just struck me right to my heart because it's so true. As, as moms, we're going to mess up. We have to let God be enough in motherhood. If we need to let, if there's any place, <laughs> it's going to be motherhood. Yeah. We're going to mess up. But that's just an opportunity to point them to Christ and say, yeah. this is grace. This is what grace yeah. looks like. Mom messed this up. But yeah. God, but God. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's so good. So, so good. Well, when I was reading through part of the book, okay, I love that you chose the story of Moses as kind of the through line of the book. I relate so much to Moses' story. <laughs> and so this made me made me smile when I was reading through it. Just in the one place that we all know of Moses' story where he experienced experiences self-doubt. And I want to hear just from your heart, why was it important for you to share about Moses' story, you know, as a piece of kind of unpacking these truths? Yeah. So really, Rebecca, the passion of my life, when people say, what are you passionate about? I say, well, I'm passionate about get your face in the book, meaning the Bible, the book, get your face in the book and live like it's true. And so when I first was told, you have imposter syndrome. You really struggle with self-doubt a lot, don't you? I was like, what is this imposter syndrome? So of course I began to research it. But because I'm a Bible girl, first and foremost, I also wanted to research scripture. And so I came across Moses, who I now refer to as the greatest self-doubter in the Bible. Uh, and just that whole encounter that he had with God where he's like, uh, not me, I'm out here. Yeah, I'm here, but send Aaron. Um, my brother can do it. Yeah. I, you know, not, I'm not the guy, God, right? And he's arguing with God. And it was so fascinating to me because in that account, he basically goes to God and he says, God, who am I? You know, who am I that you would choose me? Who am I that... You know, I, I don't have what it takes to do this assignment. You got the wrong guy, right? That's essentially Mm -hmm. what he's saying to God. And God does not in that moment, hold up a mirror and give Moses a big pep talk. He doesn't Mm -hmm. unroll Moses's resume and give him all of the reasons why he's the guy for the job. He doesn't, you know, God could have done that if we think about it. He could have done that. Absolutely. Well, of course, you're the guy to go talk to Pharaoh. You were raised in Pharaoh's court. You know how it works. You know when to go in. You know when to stand up. You know when to sit down. You know how to talk to Pharaoh. You speak Egyptian. You understand their religion. You understand their culture. Um, You know, you've been trained as a prince. So you've studied government. You've studied war. Of course, you're the guy for the job, Moses. What are you talking about? I mean, God could have said that, but he didn't. In fact, he doesn't give Moses any props at all. He simply promises Moses his presence. Hey, just interrupting this conversation real quick to tell you about one of our sponsors, Butterfly Box. Butterfly Box is a monthly subscription box that supports and encourages you in your journey as a Christ follower. They make great gifts and or a treat for yourself each month. And just for the Radical Radiance community, Butterfly Box is offering a code RADICALRADIANCE20, all uppercase, for a 20% discount on your first box by going to yourbutterflybox.com and entering the code RADICALRADIANCE20 at check out. I hope you enjoy that so much. And let's get back to the conversation. That's all he gives him. He's like, no, but I'm with you, Moses, but I'm with you, God, I'm with you. And that was all he gave him. But he did something else that just jumped off the page of scripture to me is he went on to say, he said, but I will be with you. And then, and this is in Exodus three, starting at verse 10, he goes on and he says, And when you lead the people out, 
And I circled that win a whole bunch of times in my Bible. Yeah. I don't know if you're a Bible writer in her, but I am. Absolutely. Especially <laughs> in these moments when God's like, yoo-hoo, look right here. Um, that win, because it wasn't like God said, well, Moses, if you are obedient enough, you'll lead the people That's out. Right. Or if you are spiritual enough to understand my yeah. will and recognize your calling, you know, if you are a good enough leader and a great eloquent communicator and you can get all the people behind you, there was no if, according to yep. God, it was a win. And that just brought me so much comfort because, you know, yeah. let's go back to the motherhood illustration. Okay. I am Eliana and Nathan's mom. And it's like, there are so many times where as a mom, I can get stuck in the what if, well, what if this happens or what if that happens or what if I don't do this well, or what if they hear something or what if I damage their heart or what if I crush their spirit or what if I don't discipline them effectively? You know, what if I'm not consistent enough? All these what ifs that we can mm -hmm. roll around in our head. And God doesn't say if for his plans, he says, when, when yeah. they come to pass, because the whole thing of it with Moses is the plan didn't the plan didn't rest on Moses's performance. That's it right. It rested on God's promises. Yep. And yep. that is so freeing to me because I can say, okay, God, you have a plan here and you are going to bring it to pass. You have just invited me to come along for the ride. That's but God right. concludes that conversation with Moses by saying, and you will worship me on this mountain, or you will serve me on this mountain. And basically what God is saying is to Moses, he's like, I'm going to be with you the whole way. I'm going to bring this plan to completion. I've already declared it so, Moses. And if you say yes to me and cooperate with me in that process, if you come with me on this journey that I am inviting you to be part of, you are going to worship me. In other words, yeah. you're going to witness my wonders. You're going to see firsthand the greatness of my capabilities, but also yeah. the goodness of my character. And so it's yes. an invitation to surrender and say, I don't get it. I don't feel, I feel like I'm in the wrong seat on the bus on this one, God, but I'm buckling in and I'm going to go with you and I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. And there's so much comfort in that. I don't have to be the girl to figure it all out. I just have yeah. to take God's hand and go the next step with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I love that part where God is like, Moses, who made your mouth to speak? <laughs> <laughs> like who gave you like breath to like actually speak for me? Like there's so much, I don't know. I always like not laugh but it's like one of those moments where you see like God's sense of humor because it's like right. okay Moses you've totally <laughs> forgotten like everything about me and I think that's the thing sometimes is we forget we try to we try to put our earthly understanding of like what we experience the side of eternity onto God's character rather than letting God's character inform our lives <laughs> or at least I yeah. do <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. a lot of times. And so I think sometimes that's where I get myself into trouble when it comes to striving or coming, you know, to the, any kind of conversation like this, or when I experience anxiety or things like that, or I feel like I'm not enough. It's because I've like forgotten God's character, the root of it, 
really has nothing to do with me. It's me forgetting God, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, that's so good. Okay. One of the things that I love that you kind of make a tie in the book is you say self-doubt is super closely tied to self-reliance, which I think is such a good thought. I've never really thought about it that way. So why is it, and we've talked about this a little bit, but why is it important that we understand this? Yeah. So when I began researching this whole fear of inadequacy, imposter syndrome type thing, uh, you know, what, what the world tells us to do, what psychologists, thought leaders, what they suggest you do if you struggle with self-doubt is to literally look in the mirror and tell yourself the positive things about yourself. Cite your past successes, rely on your education, your experiences, uh, you know, previous moments where you have risen to the occasion and basically you're giving yourself a big pep talk. But what are we really doing when we do that? We're relying on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And here's the reality of life, right? You know, I talked about infertility. There was never a moment in my life that prepared me to walk through infertility. There was nothing on my resume for that moment. You know, two weeks ago when my husband's coworker walked into the office and said, my 11 year old daughter has cancer. This is a brilliant woman. She has a graduate degree. She's run million dollar companies, but there's nothing on her resume to prepare to be a mama of a little girl with cancer. There are things in life we are going to face assignments. God is going to give us seasons. We're going to have to walk through where we got nothing We're we can look in the mirror all day long, but we're at the end of the day, we're going to just have to either look up and ask God to be enough in this situation because we clearly are inadequate in and of ourselves or fall to our knees in utter despair, but it's going to be one or the other. So it's not that that's bad advice. I don't want to say that's bad advice because I think one of the things that we do as women a lot that is very unhealthy is we downplay all of our giftedness and strengths. You know, we don't even know how to receive a compliment when someone's like, oh, you did such a good job. You know, we're like, oh, no, no, you know, it was nothing, not me. Well, it was because so-and-so helped me, right? We are always downplaying our strengths and our giftedness. And that's not healthy either. So it's not that that advice from psychologists and thought leaders is, is bad advice. It's just inadequate advice because there are times when we got nothing. Yep. And that's okay to say that. I think God puts us in those situations on purpose so that we Mm -hmm. learn to see exactly how big he is, like you were talking about, right? Like we've kind of got God in our little box over here and, and we're taking him along with us wherever we're going. But then all of a sudden we get into a situation and we look at the the little box next to us. And we're like, oh man, I need a bigger God than what fits in this little box I have here. Yeah. And God's like, well, I was waiting for you to figure that out. Um, <laughs> you know? So I, yeah, it's just not, yeah. we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves. 
Yeah. As long as we're looking and inside ourselves and we're stuck in our own head all the time, we're going to be stuck. Yeah. 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 And I mean, at the end of the day, the messages that we see in the world or the, you know, self-empowerment space, it ends up coming back on us again, like the very thing we're trying to avoid, like we're trying to feel more able, we're trying to feel more capable and more enough. But what ends up happening is you're turning the mirror right back on yourself to look at your past successes or celebrate, you know, past triumphs and things like that. And like we become what's glorified. And that's for me, that's the breakdown, right? Like there's one thing, um, I forget where I read this, but they were talking about like the phrase where people will say, you know, like, I believe in you. And somebody said, like, I actually, I don't believe in you, but I believe in God in you. And I love that so much. And I think it's, it's such a paradigm shift though, in, in contrast to what we find in the world. So it's just such, such an important shift. So Oh, I jokingly say, I jokingly say, Rebecca, that I really want to get, I don't know. Are you a Chosen fan? Have you watched The Chosen? I've watched, I'm not like knee deep deep into it yet. I've watched a couple of episodes. So I've watched some episodes. I really like it. And I've decided that with my fear of inadequacy, what I'm going to do is I'm going to somehow get like a life-size cardboard cutout. Yes. Of Jesus from the chosen. And I'm just going to like hobble around with that. And anytime somebody says, or the enemy hisses in my ear, like, who do you think you are? And why would you do that? And you don't belong. You don't have a seat at this table. These people yeah. are like way, way, way. And you are not, not, not. You know what? I'm just going to have life-size Jesus next to me, my little cardboard cutout. And when people say, you know, who do you think you are? I'm just going to be like, Hey, I'm with this guy. I'm with this guy. Yeah. And, and that's, that's right. <laughs> and that's that's right. I love that. Actually, I can tell you that those things do exist because Ooh. I went to a conference a couple months ago and they had a bunch of the set pieces from the chosen oh. there. There was, it was like a broadcasting, um, like podcasting conference. And so they had this whole booth for the chosen. It was the most glorious thing I've ever seen. Ooh. And, okay. um, they had a life-size cutout of Jesus and everybody and their mother was taking pictures with it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's what just, we all need in our living room. It was great. I loved Jesus it. Jesus is right here with me. Done. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that so much. Well, there was a quote that I really loved, and I'd love to kind of unpack this a little bit in the same vein as what we're talking about. It says, it was time to put an end to this lie of the enemy. God is enough to fill in our gaps. We don't have to look in the mirror and feel that we have everything it takes. I want you to talk about this idea of how God fills in our gaps. Yeah. So. I like to give this little illustration because I think it just proves it so, uh, so poignantly. But, you know, if, if we were in a room with, with a bunch of people and I were to pull out a brand new crisp hundred dollar bill and I were to say, who wants this hundred dollar bill? You know, what, it, what is this? It's a hundred dollar bill. How much is it worth? A hundred dollars. Who wants it? Yeah. Everybody's going to be like, yeah, I want a hundred dollar bill. Right. Uh, we all understand how much it's worth, what we could do with it. We probably instantly would start thinking what we'd go buy with buy with it if we had a $100 bill. 
And then I take the hundred dollar bill and I rip it in half and then into fourths. Mm. And I say, who still wants the hundred dollar bill? And people are kind of like, well, is it still a hundred dollar bill? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Take out a roll of tape, put a tape, you know, a piece of tape from top to bottom and a piece of tape from left to right essentially forms a cross, right? But it puts the tapes, the four pieces back together. It's now a whole hundred dollar bill, right? Now who wants the $100 bill? Everyone's like, oh, it's a $100 bill again. Yeah, I definitely want it. It's still $100. It's not as pretty. It's got some smears. It's got some, you know, ripped little edges. It's kind of messy, but it's still a $100 bill. The value has not changed. And that $100 bill essentially represents our lives, right? Mm. We come out, we're newborn, we're adorable. Everybody loves us. You know, we can't do anything wrong. We're just perfect. Uh, but life happens. Yeah. And, you know, some of us have been ripped apart by life circumstances. Some of us have been torn apart. Some of us have felt shattered. And so now we need somebody to put us back together. And that tape is Jesus. Yeah. He's put us back together. That's essentially the gospel, right? Yeah, And when we look at that $100 bill now, which is essentially a piece of paper with two strips of tape from top to bottom and, and left to right, what is the strongest part of that $100 bill? What is the place where it's least likely to tear apart or be ripped apart? Where the tape is. Yeah. And that's also our lives. Right. The strength of our lives, the resilience of our lives, the purpose, um, the the unterrible, unshakable part of our lives, again, is Jesus. Yeah. And that is exactly the that's the truth that we hold on to. It's what Paul says, where he says, you know, I'm going to boast all the more about my weaknesses because that's that's where the power of Christ rests on me. And that's exactly what we see in that $100 bill. That if there yeah. were no tears, there would be no tape. Um, mm. And so when we get this idea that we have to be this perfect, uncrumpled, unsmeared, untorn $100 bill to be successful or to be accepted in life, well, then you're going to forfeit the power of Jesus in your life because yeah. Jesus comes in to fill in our gaps. And so when we make peace with those limitations and say, yeah, I I have mistakes, I have regrets, I have terrible things that have happened to me, I've had horrible seasons I've had to walk through, I've done some really dumb things in my life, but Jesus has put me back together. And that's what now makes me strong. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. Well, before we go do our bonus interview that I'm really excited about, these sort of like lightning rounds are really fun with people that we do now. I want to ask you, Erica, as you're about to walk into book launch season, and by the time people listen to this, it's going to be out into the world. I want to hear what is your prayer for your reader as they walk away from this message? Yeah. So my biggest prayer for the reader is that they would know um, 
how deeply they are loved by God. And that all of the things that they may look in the mirror or look inside themselves and see as bad, they would realize that God sees them as good. Not that not that terrible things that have happened to them are good, but that he has a plan for good. Yeah. Um, and that they don't have to keep striving and they don't have to live in fear of other people's opinions or other people's rejection. Um, they can live in an intimate relationship with God because while self-reliance is what leads to self-doubt, the antidote for that fear of inadequacy is intimacy, intimacy mm. with the father. And so that's really my prayer is that they will know the character of God in a clearer and deeper way. They will know that they are loved and that they will be able to release some of these things, some of these fears that keep them yeah. stuck in that cycle of striving. Yeah. Man, let it be so. I can't wait. Well, I am so excited about this book. I'm going to say the title of it one more time. It's called Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. What a subtitle also. I love that subtitle so much. It's so beautiful. Well, I have loved having you. I'm so excited to cheer you on for this book launch and just excited to be your friend and excited for everybody to hear our conversation. So for this part of the conversation, Erica, I just want to say a huge thank you for being with me. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Didn't you love that conversation with Erica? I loved it too. And I'm so grateful for her, grateful for her new message. I hope you go grab it called Let God Be Enough. And next time on the show, we are going to talk all about her new message or her new book, her fiction book, Once Upon a Wardrobe, all about the story behind the Chronicles of Narnia. So if you're anything like me and you love that series, I hope you'll join me for that conversation next time and I'll see you then. Mm -hmm.